I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. (laughs) You can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. Welcome back, everybody, to the Important Nonsense Podcast, 32 teams in 32 days. I am Neil Smith, once again, joined by my friend and colleague, Steve Bonham. Oh, it's a glorious day, Neil. Glorious day. It is a glorious day. A glorious August 21st, actually, as we sit down to record this. So if anything we're about to talk about sounds a little bit dated, check out the wrap-up show, which will be dropping right before the uh, the start of the season here. And uh, as always, everything we're going to talk about here today is based on 12-team PPR, a.k.a. the new standard. We'll be referencing the Fantasy Pros ECR along with our own content, which you can check out at importantnonsense.com and uh, also importantnonsense.com slash Patreon. Uh, For one dollar, one little dollar a month, you can sign up at our lowest level Patreon and join our new Discord. Check that out. We'll be happy to talk to you directly, ask your questions, talk to our whole staff. If you've got questions about your team, want to evaluate some trades, or just talk about fantasy football in general, we'll be happy to talk to you. And uh, with that, Steve, we're going to sit down today and talk about the other New York franchise, as we teased in the last show, the Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. And that's why it's a glorious day, because we're talking about the Jets, and it's not googly-eyed gaze. Oh, (laughs) so much better. What are we uh, going to talk about? That's normally the Jets show. We no, just we're going to talk about how great Bob Sala is. That's uh, what we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, like a breath of fresh air. It's it's so weird to actually like the direction the Jets are going in. It what is a, what it a is. bizarre change of pace. It's odd. Right? It's, it's been a weird. It's been a weird year. Not since I, Chad Pennington. Oh boy, <laughs> that's a deep cut. Oh man. Uh, boy. And well, maybe since the butt fumble. Just for comedy-related reasons. I guess, but even then it wasn't good. Even when Brett Favre was there, it wasn't good. No, it hasn't been good there in a very long time. And some of that's a function of some weird political things that if people are interested, they can look up. So since 2016, uh, the gentleman who owns the Jets has actually been serving as the ambassador to the United Kingdom as part of the Trump administration, meaning that he turned over control of the franchise to his brother for four years and that gentleman basically ran that franchise even further into the ground, which was amazing to watch because you, you couldn't think that it could bottom out any harder than it already had. But that's a little nugget for you. So now normal ownership is back in place and no longer the ambassador to the United, to the United Kingdom for the United States. What a weird, what a weird couple of years, Steve. Oh, bizarre. What a weird, what a weird but, couple. But now they got Bob Sala, and he brought in offensive coordinator Mike Lafleur, whose brother Matt is, of course, the head coach of the Packers. So we kind of have a general idea of what to be expecting uh, from the Jets' offense in terms of the schemes they want to run and what they want to do, and how the defense should look, because we've seen what Sala has been able to do the last few years in San Francisco. Well, shocking that once normal ownership gets gets back in place, suddenly quality football. Yeah, logical things starts happening. Yeah, yeah, normal things start to happen. So it's it's a total regime change, as we just outlined. It's a total teardown and redo. Goodbye, Adam Gase. I I wish I could say I wish you well. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, not that big of a person, unfortunately. Uh-huh. But I'm glad we don't have to spend 15 minutes talking about it anymore. Yeah. 
And now, you know, with quality, you know, football people running the operation at this point, soup to nuts, you start to see the decisions getting made around personnel, right? Mm -hmm. Personnel starts to get upgraded and changed and some decisions get made. And as a function of that, as we referenced in the Carolina show, Sam Darnold is no longer there. He is seeing ghosts in Carolina. Did you know Carolina traded for Sam Darnold because there wasn't going to be a good quarterback that would fall to them at eight? (gasps) No, No, they wouldn't do that. That would be like a horrible blunder. That would be a terrible decision. The day before the draft, no less. No, that can't be right. That can't be right. No, that can't possibly be. Get used to it, Carolina. You're going to hear that a lot. You are going to hear it a lot. It's going to take a decade to live that down. Welcome to being the new Jets. Oh, boy. Congratulations. That's really sad and accurate. Except, well, they at least have Christian McCaffrey for now. So we'll... uh, But now they got the two pick, and they took Zach Wilson here. I was just going to say, there you go. In in place of Mr. Seeing Ghost himself, we now have kind of a polarizing figure. How do you feel about Zach Wilson? He's all over the board. It's very interesting because evaluating these quarterbacks, right? Obviously, Lawrence was the talk. Oh, of sure. this draft class had to be and your one a one b was trevor lawrence and justin fields and that's mm-hmm. basically how it was on everybody's board and then you had trey lance who was the sexy pick that needed a lot of time to develop but once he did develop could be a really good nfl quarterback konami code quarterback and The number four on the list for most people evaluating, whether it be for NFL scouts or for a fantasy perspective like we care about, was Zach Wilson, that he'd shown flashes, that he's decent, but not great. He's a step ahead of guys like Kyle Trask and Davis Mills, but he's not in that upper echelon, and yet he's the guy that the Jets go with at number two. And I kind of feel like People are fading Zach Wilson and hating on him, not because he's at the Jets or or not because of any reasons that are faults of his own, but just because he was drafted ahead of guys like Lance and Fields that the community was more in on and liked more. And they're kind of just discounting Zach Wilson that, oh, he just isn't as good, but he was the number two pick. He was the guy that got drafted ahead of them. And yet, for whatever reason, in ADP, he's going at quarterback 28. And to put that in perspective, as of right now, Trevor Lawrence, who was taken one spot ahead of him, playing on arguably a worse team, is going at QB 14. Justin Fields, who is playing behind Andy Dalton, who is the backup quarterback to at least start the season in Chicago, is going at QB 18. Trey Lance, who's playing behind Jimmy Garoppolo, the backup quarterback in San Francisco is going at QB 21. (laughs) And Zach Wilson, who is the clear-cut starter, has no competition. Oh, and I forgot to mention that, you know, Urban Meyer is a crazy person and refuses to name Trevor Lawrence the starter, and we could get Minshew Mania. It's really important Uh, to bring that up as much as possible for people to remember that Urban Meyer... Is, is an insane man. person. Yes. And you, and, and you would think that that would be like defamation of character worthy and that we wouldn't say that, but Google it's it. It's just a fact. It's just, just a, Google it. It's just, just Google it. Just, just go fact. through the history. Like it's the decisions. But the of, point of a is that Zach Wilson has no one behind him. There is no veteran on this roster right now. He has a clear cut job 
that is his and his alone will start basically every game this year as long as he's healthy and is yet being faded all the way to QB 28. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. I feel like for this season in particular, he has at least as much value as those other guys that I've mentioned. And from a dynasty perspective, of course, you would want to take a shot on a younger quarterback. But to get him that, I mean, he's going for free. He's going undrafted, a guy that you can have off of waivers. And this all of a sudden feels like a Justin Herbert scenario all over again. Oh yeah, I was that, I was going to say that's the that's the comparable. If you want to go yeah. one year back, it's he, everybody's sleeping on it. They don't they don't think. Well, Herbert even had a harder path because he wasn't even named the starter until what happened to Tyrod happened. Right. So he walked out of nowhere for sure. So even that made a little more sense. You were fading him. He was going to be the backup, but they've already named Zach Wilson the starter, and <clears throat> and it's just they're they're going to go with it. I think I think it's a function of a couple things. I think everything you said is true. It's just that I think we need to really think about how much people historically just know the Jets are bad, sure. right? And so that pushes him down even further because we'll get into their skill position guys here momentarily. That could also be what plays into some of that to a certain extent where it's like, well, he's starting, but who's he going to throw to? And it's this kind of narrative-based analysis that that doesn't actually hold water. Because if you look at how quarterback rankings typically work, you get to a point as you're actually sitting down to do the exercise of ranking these guys. And it's at a certain level, anybody who's starting really has to go ahead of anybody who's not playing. Right. Yeah. So realistically, it makes no sense to me why, why anybody would want to leave Zach Wilson out there when he's actually going to be playing in favor of like a Trey Lance is the one I kind of scoffed at the most. Cause it's like Trey Lance isn't coming on that field for basically half the season. Unless now, okay. Like so it's a nature of my rankings as well that I hit a point where I'm just looking for upside because yeah, that's sure, my QB two sure. at that point. Sure. But like I can just rattle them off here for you. Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, Ben Roethlisberger, Jared Goff, Cam Newton, Carson Wentz, who of course now is hurt, but who knows about that. And then Sam Darnold. And then you get into guys with timeshares, but those are guys who have a starting role who have the entire job basically and they are all guys that I have ranked behind Zach Wilson because he has the starting job and has the upside. Sure, he could crater out, but for where he's going, to have him as my QB2, what's my worst case scenario? I cut him and I pick up one of those guys I just mentioned off of waivers. I, I just, I'm not understanding why you would leave him out there for someone else when you can have him for free. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just a function of, of just people hating on the jets to a certain extent and people right. liking some of those other prospects more, as you mentioned, cause they had more hype coming in. Like right now in ADP, Carson Wentz is going ahead of Zach Wilson. Yeah. And we've, and we've talked about Carson Wentz missing potentially the first six weeks of the season. Right. So I just, I just don't get it. I think it's also to a function of maybe people didn't see Zach Wilson play much in college because he kind of played at BYU and he got a, a good amount of hype, you know, if you actually followed college football and yeah. you saw it. But if you're just a casual fan, you might not have ever seen Zach Wilson play that much. Sure. And it's not like he didn't have some struggles in there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's that. So that might be the other thing that's going on for certain folks where they're like, well, he played at a smaller school to BYU. You know, he played well there, but whatever. I mean, that, that would be a great argument and would hold water. Trey Lance didn't exist.
Right, exactly. That's all the people watching those North Dakota State that's, Bison that's games. Why, that's why I was laughing at the Trey Lance one because it <laughs> negates what I just said. Right. Yeah. So it's like it's, I'm wondering if maybe people are kind of taking some of these compounding things and just trying to lay it on Zach Wilson. Like, oh, lower level prospect played at a small school, plays for the Jets. Don't care. You know, I'd rather get somebody else. And it's like uh, I don't know about all that because when he played for BYU, he played really well. Yeah, And it's not like the Jets have nothing at skill position anymore. It's not great as we'll get into, but basically the takeaway here is, and there's nothing behind Zach Wilson, nothing. There's no other quarterback that you're thinking. So he's the guy and they're committing to him and he's going to be your quarterback of the future. I think unless something hideous happens. So, I mean, yeah, Zach Wilson's an extreme value at this point in, uh, in drafts, basically free. So it's it's a good one to start with right out of the gates here for New York. The future is looking so much brighter than it was. It's crazy. But unfortunately, well, you know what? You want to just t- stick with the young guys, Steve? We'll talk about the young guys here and just sure. go right into running back. Yep. So same draft. Again, total teardown and rebuild. They're, they're moving on from a lot of their established names that they had had uh, in New York. So Le'Veon Bell, gone, long gone, like played in Kansas City last year. That's not news. They, they've just let go of a lot of these guys that they had and they drafted Michael Carter, yes. who very, very worth noting drafted him in the fourth round. Yes. And that's a guy, if you want to talk about uh, a guy that was really high in the industry, like a Trey Lance, a lot of people were on Michael Carter this season. They expect they're expecting big things. And he kind of started fluctuating in value because in the start of the evaluation process before the combine and everything else. And before the draft, he was kind of like, Oh, ho hum, you know, he's coming into the league, might do something. He gets this job and suddenly the industry starts to decide, okay, well, frankly, he can probably just take over as the, as the RB one relatively yeah. quickly here against the, some of the tomato cans they've got lined up against him. And that's kind of been moving his ADP up and that's been continuing all through camp and now into the preseason. He's kind of one of those guys that has started catching fire in a lot of these rooms. So it's, it's been a little, a little frustrating in that regard. If you're somebody who wanted, who wanted him at a value, like I did, because you're probably not going to get so much of that anymore because we'll, we'll go through it. He's competing against the Michael Perrine mm-hmm. who historically hasn't done anything. He was their fourth round pick last year. Yes. They still have Josh Adams who people, if you've got a long memory mem- may remember from uh, Philadelphia and mm-hmm. he's never done anything meaningful really in the league. And they brought in the biggest threat to Michael Carter, which is Tevin Coleman, who people will remember from Atlanta when he actually did matter and historically has uh, struggled to stay on the field to a certain extent. And it's his connection with Sala, too. He came over with Robert Sala from San Francisco. So there's the familiarity there, which is why people believe he will end up being the starter to begin the year, but ultimately will cede the job to Carter. And I think it's there's a couple important things to note here is obviously the connection to Sala with Coleman gives him a slight advantage in that regard. But I mentioned it already. Offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, whose brother, Matt, historically <laughs> car wash. At the guy Ryan who Bell. couldn't figure out the Derrick Henry, Deion Lewis. Yeah, the guy who gave yes. Deion Lewis significant carries over Derrick Henry. The guy who refuses to unleash Aaron Jones because anyone else, like he just loves a committee. He loves him a running back committee. His brother is the exact same way. So this is full on a committee situation to me. We've seen historically that fourth round or later running backs never get a full workload. They very rarely develop into somebody 
that will get a full job or have useful uh, fantasy production. And the amount of hype that has been around Michael Carter, you talk about committees, what the one of the darlings of this draft class, Javante Williams in Denver, who we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, he was the lead back in Carolina with Michael Carter. They were in a committee at UNC in college. And even then, Williams got drafted significantly ahead of him because he can do everything. He can be that goal line back. He can be a pass catching back. He can be a three down guy in the NFL. Michael Carter is a pass catching back who will have a third down role, but he will never have the full job to himself. He will never be a three down back in the NFL. And right now, as it stands, Michael Carter is being drafted as the starter. He is going at RB 30 off the board in PPR, which is way too rich for my blood. I was for, just going to say a guy that, that does not have that type of ceiling. I was just going to say that exact same phrase. And that's too rich for my blood. Yeah. <laughs> have it. Yeah. I'm out. No, thank you. Yeah. Right now he's going in the middle of the seventh round. And again, to put that in perspective, he's going a spot ahead of Melvin Gordon who we feel like is still the starter in Denver. I'd rather have Melvin Gordon. But more importantly, he is going three picks ahead of Damian Harris, who we talked about a few episodes ago with New England, who basically has a three-down workload and has been in the league and knows the offense and is going to be on a better team. So uh, there's way more upside to me on Damian Harris than Michael Carter, but it's not being drafted that way. Yeah. And so that's going to be what I was going to lead with here is I'm actually on. That's why I said, unfortunately, when I was teeing this up, because I was hoping to be able to get Michael Carter at a value yeah. at a certain point in drafts this year. And that is not happening. So this happens sometimes. We saw it with CEH last year as, the, as a clear example of what happens sometimes with these young running backs when they come in. People get all all grabby and they're not really thinking clearly. And I think a lot of people are thinking Michael Carter will just take over this job and run with it and be yep. a clear cut number one. And I see it the way you do never going to happen, folks. It's not yep. worth it. Leave it out there. He'll be a nice player. And I like Michael Carter, the player, but at this, at this relative ADP, I can't, I can't get behind it. So I'm going to, I would leave that there. And then just to whip through the rest, I'm not interested in Tevin Coleman. It's kind of a function of the same thing, right? Yeah. You're going to be in a committee and Tevin Coleman. There just... will be weeks when Tevin Coleman starts. There will be weeks when Ty Johnson starts. There yep. will be, but those are going to be your first and second down backs. They'll be your goal line guys. I think Carter is the established third down back, and I prefer him in PPR than any other format. But even then, even with that, there's just no upside. Like even I, even if everyone else behind him was hurt and not playing, I can't see him having a full workload. They'll sign someone off the street. Like I've yeah, got Michael Carter at 42 in my running back ranks, because if he falls that far for whatever reason, I would take him as my RB four because of the PPR upside. I, I view Michael Carter more as a Naheem Hines or his best case scenario, Tariq Cohen, than I do as an established starting running back. Yeah, I view, I view Michael Carter as similarly, and I've got him at 38, actually right next to Naheem Hines. It's funny you mentioned Naheem Hines, because that's yeah. actually the, the that's actually right. There's a reason those two are right next to each other, yeah. is because it's kind of the same thing. There's going to be weeks where Naheem Hines puts up a 40, and yeah. there's going to be weeks where he puts up a three, yep. and it's going to be the same thing with Michael Carter. Yep. 
And then the other ones, they just cannibalize each other too much for me to be interested in either Ty Johnson or Tevin Coleman with them functionally sharing one job. I'm not interested in that. And so at that point, really, it just is, I'm avoiding all New York Jets running back for yeah. 2021. I just want no part of it. I'm just going to leave it out there and let other people fight each other over it. And we can make this real guys. easy because obviously you want to avoid defense and kicker. They're terrible. And you still want to avoid all tight end. We've been right on Chris Herndon forever. Forever. It's one so, of our things we've been most right on right. as as a, as a career. As an so analyst. you're avoiding literally all of that. So then it's just the pass catchers yep. in terms of wide receiver. And they went out and they signed Corey Davis and they have completely turned over this wide receiver room. So they signed Corey Davis. Well, except from Tennessee. for James Crowder, who's still there. They still have Crowder. They still have Mims, who was their second round pick last year. And they still have Braxton Berrios and Jeff Smith. For but now. those guys are way down the depth chart. They signed Keelan Cole, who I think has a legitimate shot to actually have a role on this team for well, whatever I, reason. I think he's your, I think he's your, uh, your uh your z he's your other side of um he's certainly competing i think davis is the one and then elijah moore their second round pick this season who i think actually wins that job okay and is is you think he wins it out of the gate or he wins it well we'll talk about it okay i I win it it already okay i think i think davis and moore are your established starters on the outside jamison crowder is still your slot receiver um but the beautiful part about elijah moore he played in uh, Mississippi. He went to Old Miss, same as AJ Brown. He was on the same roster with AJ Brown, and he put up com- comparable numbers with AJ Brown. So he's that type of player, a big-bodied receiver who can rotate between the slot and the outside. I think there's a very good chance that when Keelan Cole is on the field, it's Elijah Moore in the slot, not Jamison Crowder. So I think there's a decent shot that Moore is on the field a lot more than we're expecting, and he's just been making unbelievable plays like he made a lot of good plays in college he came in with a great profile he projected out as a potential first round pick and he almost got there missed it by two picks <laughs> uh but he uh he is a talented kid that i think can put up big numbers and i think right out of the gate he's gonna have it reminds me basically of the fade that everyone put on dk metcalf and how he's kind of he's blown up i don't know if he'll be emerging as a top 10 guy like DK Metcalf has, but I think Elijah Moore has that type of profile fits that type of mold. So I think, yes, he'll beat out Keelan Cole for sure uh, to get that outside job. But I think the one that's real interesting here is Denzel Mims, who was their number or their second round pick last year. A lot of hype, a lot of buildup around Mims coming out of Baylor and he comes into the jets has a terrible first season. They bring in a whole new regime who, not invested in him at all. And the reports are he's running with the threes mm-hmm. in camp. So, I mean, he's going to make the team because as a second round pick, he's making enough money that it would matter. And he's still young enough that you would want to see what he's got. But man, it does not look good for Denzel Mims prospect. I, and to be clear, I've never been a believer in Denzel Mims, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when he got drafted by the Jets, I was like, that's basically a kiss of death. Like it's, it's, it's just not something I'm invested in as a player. I know other people on our staff on our website feel differently about that. And they like Denzel Mims as a player and it's something that they believe in, but I've never been there. And I just don't, I don't see how you could ever possibly be drafting Denzel Mims with how deep wide receiver is for a guy that now is running with the threes that struggled last year, that didn't even put up the tape, the caliber 
of Elijah yeah. Moore in college. Yeah. And it's like how there's no way that they're going to be invested in that. And to, to I think the biggest damning thing that you just mentioned is it's a new regime. He's going to yeah. have to prove it all over again. Yep. He doesn't get to coast like some of these guys can and have a bad year and then try and get it worked out and have time to like work but with that's, it. From a fantasy perspective, uh, Mims and Crowder, Cole, they're all going undrafted. So as they should be. Yeah, if you want any of those guys, you can get them off waivers. I don't think any of them are good. Like Crowder is a guy that we always love. But at this point in this stage in his career, and again, it's the same thing, new regime. They're trying to start over and rebuild the team. Well, he took a huge pay cut just to yeah. even be in the league this offseason. He'll probably he remain on the team as like a captain. He'll probably remain on the team as a locker room leader. But I don't think he has – think of a Larry Fitzgerald. I don't think he has any real fantasy impact other than maybe as a deep league bye week fill in. That's what I was going to say. I wouldn't draft him, but I would, I would consider him similar to Larry Fitzgerald when we get to like bye weeks and stuff. I would consider him if he's healthy and still playing because we've seen that when he's out there, he does have a role and he's good at that slot role, but I would, it's not something I want to invest in for the whole season. I'll spot start him if I absolutely need to Mims. I wouldn't take it all. And Cole is a nice actual NFL player, and he's familiar with the new leadership there, which is part of why he's there. Um, but he's not something that you're going to ever invest in in a real way for fantasy purposes. So really, just to close out the show, I think we just need to talk about Corey Davis and Elijah yeah. Moore, because That's those are the things debate. that you would The debate would is draft. between those two guys. Right now, Corey Davis is going at the end of the 10th round, top of the 11th round. Elijah Moore is going two rounds later. And to yeah. me... Again, you know, Corey Davis, historically, we've never been in on. No. It's never been our thing. No. Uh, the hype train typically gets out of control on Corey Davis. And now it's hilarious because a season after Corey Davis actually pays off <laughs> for, the for first all time of his ever. truthers. For the first time ever. He signs a deal as the number one receiver. And he has met a hype train that can outmatch his own in Elijah Moore that has just derailed him here. Uh, Corey Davis is going at wide receiver 53. Elijah Moore going at wide receiver 58. For me, like I said, I feel like the better profile is Elijah Moore. I feel like he's the better overall player. I feel like he emerges as the number one. And that's the issue with Davis, too, is the only time he's ever thrived in this league is with A.J. Brown helping him out, right? Oh, yeah, is with sure. A.J. Brown getting the coverage on the other side where I think that's kind of what he's relying on Elijah Moore to do. So I have Moore at 57. I'm right in line with his current ADP because it's going to take him some time to develop. But by the second half of the season, I think he breaks out and is for sure the guy. I do have Corey Davis rated higher. There's a, every chance in the world that he finishes this season with more targets and receptions than Elijah Moore. But long term, by the end of the year, I think that flip flops. Well, and I agree with that. Here's and here's what I would say about this situation. What's funny about Elijah Moore is I have him right next to Jacoby Myers. A little bit from my rankings, I'd be really interested in those two guys right at the end of my draft, right, right in there. Mm-hmm. And so either one I think has significant upside because I agree with you. It's not something you're going to count on, but they're guys I want to make sure I'm targeting at the end of my draft if I need one more wide receiver because I think yeah. I think similar to Jacoby Myers, although but in a different way. They'll do it differently on the field, but in a similar like way. You're looking at possibly a wide receiver too at the end of your draft, or yeah. it could be nothing. And we don't know, yep. but it's worth it at that price point to find out. 
because yeah, that's what those lottery time, tickets are there for. So extreme lottery tickets that you could you could cash so aggressively that you could redo your entire wide receiver room based on this, and you don't get too many opportunities at that. So it's right there for me. And then I would actually somewhat be okay if you had to take Corey Davis at roughly his ADP, roughly, just because if I'm right and Elijah Moore mm-hmm. is AJ Brown or something similar, then Corey Davis could be fine. And unlike uh, Tennessee, the Jets probably will be throwing more than, than the Titans. So there will be more opportunities for Corey Davis to do things. But I, I wouldn't want to get, I, you're drafting Corey Davis at his ceiling. So I would probably want to stay away from it. Well, that's the thing where Corey Davis, this is the discussion we were just having before where Corey Davis right now, you can have him for at 53, well below where I have him ranked and we have him projected. But I I think that Corey Davis, his ceiling on this offense with this team is probably a wide receiver three. He's a good floor guy and a bi-week fill-in. Whereas Elijah Moore, who I can get in the exact same range or even two rounds later, uh, is a guy that could be, like I said, top 24. Could be top. I mean, his ceiling is top 10, but top 24, I think, is a realistic outcome by the end of the year if he breaks out at way higher ceiling than what you'd get from Corey Davis, whereas they have similar floors. Sure. So uh, that's what I'm saying. It's like, I would consider looking at Corey Davis there, but you just know that you're drafting him at his ceiling and you could probably do better if you were just willing to wait. So I'd probably pass on it more often than not. Yeah. I just think it's important to point like, that's not actually drafting his ceiling. It's like, it's you're. I'd say you're still like 20 picks lower. Okay. So, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So theoretically, if, if we're wrong and Elijah Moore doesn't pan out, Corey Davis could theoretically crack, crack up 20 spots higher, but Eh, we've all seen Corey Davis play football. So frankly, yeah, probably the advice would be to stay away and focus on getting Elijah Moore for Mm -hmm. likely cheaper. But here's the thing. I guess my only real, my only real closing thought on it is if you absolutely, if Elijah, if you played with somebody who loved Elijah Moore and took him, you know what I mean? And you still needed like a wide receiver four, effectively. And you, and you could get Corey Davis there. It's not the worst thing that could have possibly happened to you. It's kind of my, my only thought there. So not like we're super high on it, but beyond that, it really is. It really is just we're so bullish on Elijah Moore that that it kind of throws everything off. So, but the good news here is, folks, is that the Jets will still be bad, but at least they've they've kind of come out of the out of the muck though. And for the first time in a long time, we'll close the show the same way we opened it. You don't say this often in life, but for the first time in a long time, the the, the needle on the Jets is actually pointing up as opposed to pointing down. And so we'll close with that. But tomorrow, for the listener, we're going to be talking about something that I, I think both of us are actually kind of excited about, which is uh, which is the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's not that we're excited about the Philadelphia Eagles, but we, it gives us the opportunity to talk about Jalen Hurts. So uh, tune in for that tomorrow, and we'll catch you then. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!